This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. Before we start today, I want to do something that has just really been my heart for a couple of days here. This Wednesday is Veterans Day, and, and I thank God for America. Thank God for our freedom, but freedom wasn't free, and it's still not free. And so just this morning, if you are a veteran, would you please stand up? We just want to honor you here today. Go ahead and stand up. I know there's a bunch of you. Yeah. Stay standing. We, we got a little, little gift that we want to give you, just a little token to say thank you. God bless all of you, the, the sacrifices you've made. We say thank you for that. Just bless all of you. And then also this morning, we, we want to recognize there's ones in our church that are serving right now. And so we have Adam Garcia. Is any of Adam's family here? Stand up, please. Go ahead. Go ahead. Stand up. Yeah. Bless you. Bless you guys. Bunch of you. Then, then we have Jason Murillo. I don't know that anybody... They are here. Okay. And this is my, go ahead, stand up, Herman, you and Ramona. This is mom and dad. And then the last two is, is the Bacons. Why don't you stand up? Actually, the whole family, all, all you guys stand up. We welcome all of you. That's, that's Ben and, and Will. And so we've got a bunch that are serving right now. So, you know, I just ask you all, let's just pray, not only for the family members, I never had anyone in my family that served in this capacity. But I, I know there's always a fear of a phone call. And so let's just pray over them today. Father God, we come to you in the name of Jesus. and We honor you and we, we thank you that America truly is one nation under God. And Lord, we still say that in God we trust But Lord, we pray your blessing on all that who have served, who've given life. But we pray over these ones today, Lord, that you bless them, you protect them, you order their steps. And Lord, even ones that are in our military that have no one to pray for them, we pray for them today. Bless them. Lead our our military leaders. Give them great wisdom and insight. But Lord, we ask you to protect in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, praise God, I'm glad you're here. If you've got a Bible, go with me to the book of Galatians chapter 2. And you've got to realize this is my second go-round, so I'm pretty lit up today already. We've already had a good service, and uh, sometimes I have to eat these certain types of mints so I can get through the praise and worship, because I like to sing loud. I don't sing real well, but I do sing loud, so we're going to get going. But we've been talking about identity, and oftentimes our identity, if we're not careful... We look for the approval of man, which comes to a, a twisted view of the combinations of my accomplishments and then everybody's opinion about how I am. But I don't have to live that way because that is identity baggage and there's a vicious cycle that leads that. So the issue today is, or the goal today, is that we want you to see where you can become who God says you are. So we start in Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. 
even we who have believed in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ Jesus, and not by works of the law, for by works of the law no flesh can be justified. Now the word justified means declared righteous. The only way I become declared righteous is through Jesus. Everything he's done. And so when I begin to identify my life in Christ Jesus, things begin to change. I'm no longer justified by my works and my abilities. It's everything that he did. Same chapter, verse 19. For I through the law died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Now, it's important that I begin to see that, that it's Christ who lives in me. And until I begin to to see myself that way, live that way, believe that Christ lives in me, I'm always going to be bound by this identity baggage that I never add up. He goes on to say here, But Christ lives in me in the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes to the law, then Christ died in vain. In other words, if you can earn salvation by the works of the law, then Jesus died and it was redundant what he did. But we know that's not true. Now, I want to go up on the screen and I want you to look at verses 19 through 21 in the message translation. Look at this and read this as we go along here. What actually took place is this. I tried keeping rules and working my head off to please God and it didn't work. How many have been there and done that? So I quit being a lawman so that I could be God's man. Christ's life showed me how and enabled me to do it. I identified myself completely with him. Indeed, I have been crucified with Christ. My ego is no longer central. It is no longer important that I appear righteous before you or have your good opinion. And I am no longer driven to impress God. Christ lives in me. The life you see me living is not mine, but it is lived by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm not going to go back on that. Is it not clear to you that I go back to that old rule keeping? Peer pleasing religion would be an abandonment of everything personal and free in my relationship with God. I refuse to do that to repudiate God's grace. If a living relationship with God could come by rule keeping, then Christ died unnecessarily. So the key point is here, he's saying, That Christ enabled me. He empowered me. And the key is we get back over and understand, i got to get where my identity is in what Christ did. Now, go back a little bit to the book of Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. See, oftentimes in our life, we, we look like we're having a lot of fun on the outside. But on the inside, we're miserable. And I don't know about you, but it's not much fun always having to perform or think that I've got to do things a certain way to to gain people's approval and God's approval. God will begin to change when we begin to see ourselves the way Christ does. Matthew 9, verse 14. Then the disciples of John came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch pulls away from the garment, and the tear is made worse. And so what he's got getting into here is these old forms of religion. 
that I can't keep doing those old things, that I've got to begin to change. Now, listen to what he says here in verse 17. Nor do they put new wine in the old wineskins, or else the wineskins break. The wine is spilled, and the wineskins are ruined. And so when a wineskin is new, it's soft and it becomes pliable. But the older it gets, it begins to get stiff, and it begins to get crusty. And he goes on to say, but they put new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. And so Jesus is saying here, you can't live a better life with with these stricted thoughts and ideas. I can't keep living and be set in my old ways. Now, in saying all that, most human beings have a couple dilemmas. Number one, we say stuff like this, I can't change. Every one of us in this room probably at one time or another said, I can't change. But oftentimes that statement where we say, I can't change, is rooted in more of a, a, of a problem is this. I really don't want to change. I really don't want to change. So the first question this morning is this. Are you willing to change? Are you willing to get rid of those old wineskins and, and live by faith in Jesus? See, you cannot dodge your, or you can dodge your responsibilities, but you cannot dodge the consequences of your responsibilities. There's going to be things that are going to take place. So in reading this right here, God desires to revise every one of us in here. Every one of us where we see our our life and our future through what he did, not what we see or believe. But here's the question today. Are you willing to change? Isaiah 119 said, If you're willing and obedient, you'll eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you'll be devoured. So, am I willing to change today? Now, in saying that, go with me to the book of Joshua, chapter 2. Way, way back there. Joshua, chapter 2. And we're going to use a passage here to just show you how God will revise you. He'll change you in ways that'll go far beyond you, whatever you could believe. This is the passage here where, if you remember the story of Moses when God said, get my people out of Egypt and take them to the promised land, the land that flows with milk and honey. That was God's promise to them. But for 40 years, they never got there. They kept wandering around in the desert. Literally, their life was like they kept going around in a circle. A cycle that kept happening, even though God said, I want you to have a land that flows with milk and honey. They never did go in. They got out of Egypt physically, but Egypt never got out of them spiritually. They exchanged one set of problems for another, and they lived in bondage. So what God does is he raises up this guy named Joshua. And he tells Joshua, I want you to lead him into the promised land. So we pick up here in Joshua 2, verse 1. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two men from a Cassia grove to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. Now the two spies that Joshua sends out, these weren't just random people that he chose. These were both men of God. One was his old buddy Caleb. And if you remember the story, the first time they go in to spy out the land, it was Joshua and Caleb. 
Those were the two that said, we're well able to take it. The other ten said, we can't. So this time, Joshua says, I'm going to send this guy named Caleb, and I'm going to send his buddy named Finus with him. And he's, he knows they're man of God. You know what he's thinking here? I've been there and I've done that before when you send in people that don't believe God and they don't trust God. So he sends these two guys in there. Keep reading. So they went and they came to a house of a harlot named Rahab and they lodged there. Now, the reason that Rahab's house was a good house for them to go hide at, and don't take me wrong when I say this, but there was a lot of people that went in and out of that house on a daily basis. And so they would just get in the flow and come in and out. No one would even notice them. Now, it mentions this woman named Rahab here. The scriptures are very clear that Rahab was a very, very beautiful woman. And when you study Rahab, she's mentioned eight times in the Bible. Six times she's referred to as Rahab the harlot. So her life is identified by that word harlot up to this point in her life. So when you look at this, Rahab's life wasn't identified by who she was. It was identified more by her due. So are you identified by your due or your who? Because your due will come from who you believe you are. Now, does your identity, does your value, does it derive from what you do or who you are? And when I say that right there, it's going to come from the things you do physically or you learn who you are in Christ Jesus. Now, here's a great question for you. Do you spend more time on your do or do you spend more time on your who? Do you spend more time on the things of this world or do you spend more time with the things of God? Because one's going to lead you to acting more like Jesus. The other will lead you to more acting like the world. And I believe the more you spend time with Jesus, the more it'll begin to shape who you are. I can tell you this, the most significant thing I can do to prepare for Sunday morning isn't to comb my hair or brush my teeth, even though that's important. It's not even what I wear. The most important thing I can do is pray and get into the presence of God. That's the same for every one of us in our life. So even for this woman named Rahab, this was a big deal. And just like her, until her, she, Rahab, or you and me begin to understand who we are in Christ Jesus through his saving grace, we're going to live with identity baggage. Because guess what? If you live by your due, you got to keep doing things. And you got to keep doing things. And you got to keep trying to impress people. It'll wear you out. Keep reading. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. So the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who've come to you, who have entered your house, for they've come to search out all the country. Then the woman took the two men and hid them. So she said, Yes, or true, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. Now pick up with me in verse 8. Now before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof. So she's hid them, and now she said, I got some things I want to tell you. I want, some th I want to tell you some things that I'm thinking. Verse 9. And she said to the men, 
I know the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. Now, if you're Caleb and you're finest, that's exactly what you wanted to hear. You would look and say, we got them right where we want them. But this wasn't just significant for these two spies. This is even significant for me and you. Because even in this passage right here, I believe that as believers, when we start knowing who we are in Christ Jesus, when we start knowing the authority that we have in the name of Jesus, even the devil takes notice of you. And even the devil looks and said, "Uh uh-oh, we've messed with some of them who know who they are in Christ Jesus. We've started messing with some of them that know how to speak the name of Jesus. We started messing with some of them that know how to apply the name of Jesus. And they don't take kindly of it. Verse 10. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. This woman named Rahab, she understands the God of these spies. He's a miracle working God. He's a God of power. And that's what he's identifying or she's identifying. Right? We know. And he goes on, she goes on to say. For we have heard the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea from where you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of Jordan, Sahan and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. Those two kings, when they departed from Egypt, they wouldn't let the children of Israel cross through their land. And ultimately... They saw the power of a living God. They were destroyed. So this woman right here named Rahab, she's heard of the miracles that have taken place. She's heard of all of the things their God's done. Now understand this, at this point in her life, she's all in. And the reason I say she's all in, if she gets caught hiding those spies, she will be killed on the spot for treason. And so I look at this, and when she begins to talk about God, you know what she's saying? This is my desire. This is my hope. See, too many times as Christians, we don't want to be all in. We don't want to risk it all like she did. But she literally put everything on the line for the kingdom of God right here. So we keep reading in verse 11. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord, your God, he is God in heaven and above and on earth beneath. Now this is this harlot. She's identifying God and she says, it's your God. There is no other God. It's your God. Verse 12. Now therefore I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you also will show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token. And spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all that they have. And deliver our lives from death. She pleads her case right here. She pleads her case. And somewhere along the way, and I truly believe it was in verse 11. The God of Israel became the God of a harlot. And it was because of her choice. She was willing. 
And so because the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob became her God, it ultimately changed her identity, it changed her hope, and it changed her future. This one act right there. So we're safe to say she had an encounter with God. And God still desires for people to have encounters with him just like she did. Now keep reading because it gets better. Verse 14. So the men answered her, Our lives for yours. If none of you tell this business of ours, and it shall be when the Lord has given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was on the city wall. She dwelt there on the wall. And she said to them, Get to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you. Hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Afterward, you may go your way. So the men said to her, We will be blameless of this oath of yours, which you have made us swear. We will be free from this obligation of this oath, unless you precisely follow our instructions. And when you see their instructions, there was only one way. There wasn't a bunch of multiple choices. There was only one way that she could be saved and set free. You know, in John 14, it says very clearly that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. It didn't say Jesus was a way. It said Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. So they're letting her know right here, Darling, here's your opportunity. Verse 18. Unless when we come into the land, you bind this line of a scarlet cord, and understand the scarlet cord was symbolic of the redemptive work of Jesus. Now look what he says. Unless you bind this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and unless you bring your father, your mother, your brothers, and all your family's household into your own home. So he's telling here, you better have that scarlet cord. That's all that's going to matter. Verse 21. Then she said, according to your word, so be it. And she sent them away and they departed. And she bound the scarlet cord in her window. She bound the scarlet cord. This woman's life changed because of the Lord. Right here you begin to see this. And there's some interesting things about this passage here. Her past didn't dictate her future. Years back in our society, a great, great man of God named Billy Graham, he would end his revivals with a song. And the song would say, Just as I am, I come. Just as I am, I come. Now I say that to say this. This is a woman who's a harlot. And she came just as she was. And that day, the only thing that mattered was that scarlet cord. Her past didn't matter. Her title of being a harlot didn't matter. The only thing that mattered that day was the blood of Jesus. Romans 5, 9 says we've been justified by the blood. We've been declared righteous by the blood of Jesus. 
Now, not only was this woman saved, but her complete identity changed, her future changed, everything within her, it totally changed. How do we know that? In Matthew chapter 1, verse 5, it's the genealogy of Jesus. It's the bloodline or the family tree of Jesus. And the bloodline of Jesus goes right through this harlot named Rahab. You're talking about identity change. You know, a lot of people would say, how could a God use a woman like that? And not only did it stop there. There were eight different prophets, including the prophet Jeremiah, who came from the descendants of Rahab. But it doesn't stop there. If you've ever studied the scriptures in Hebrews chapter 11, it talks about the Faith Hall of Fame. And all the people that are found in Hebrews 11 are men and women of great faith. And in Hebrews 11 verse 31, it specifically mentions Rahab the harlot. And so when I look at this, I begin to think, she had an identity change. Her whole life changed because of the blood of Jesus. Now, if you go back into the Old Testament before this even took place, when God was telling Moses to get my people out of Egypt, if you remember, he had given the Pharaoh nine plagues. The first nine didn't work. And so God said, I got one more plague, and it's going to be the death. The angel of death will come in, and he will kill all the firstborn sons of the whole land. Except the household that takes a lamb. A lamb without spot or blemish. And they take that lamb... And they partake of his body. They eat the body of the lamb. And after that, they take the blood of that lamb and they put it on the doorpost. And that night when the angel of death comes through, all will be killed except the one that is marked by the blood. The power of the blood of Jesus. And many would say, well, yeah, that's Old Testament. But it goes further. In Revelations 12 verse 11 it says we overcome by the blood of Jesus. So not only does the blood of Jesus wash me from all my sin. And some of you should have shouted amen right there. <laughs> Thank God for his blood. Because if my sins were on a scoreboard. Whew, it'd be ugly. But thank God his blood washes me. But not only does it wash me, he, he puts his blood on the inside and says, you can overcome. You can overcome your past labels. You can overcome all the patterns of sin in your life. You can be a conqueror. You can live victorious all because of the blood of Jesus. And so again, when I read this, the only thing that matters is the blood. Today, are you under the blood? If you're not, you can be. Now go with me to the book of Jeremiah chapter 18. Jeremiah chapter 18. And I believe God's going to give some of you a, a kingdom spark today. He's going to put something on the inside of you. He's going to stir you back up this morning. Jeremiah chapter 18. Verse 1. 
the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise or get up and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause you to hear my words. It's good to hear the word of God. Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was making something at the wheel. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred. It was flawed. It turned out bad in the hand of the potter. So he made it again into another vessel. Now, if you got a pen and it's your Bible, I would highlight the word again. And he made it again. Why is that so significant? Well, the Lord Jesus said to a man named Nicodemus in John 3, he said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Again. So when we get born again, salvation is the beginning point. How many of you have ever been to a graduation and it says this is the commencement graduation? We've all been to those. You know what the word commencement literally means? A beginning or a new beginning. Some of you today are going to get a new beginning. It's going to be a commitment graduation. You didn't know you were going to graduate today, did you? And guess what? This will be good for some of you. You're going to graduate with honors because of Jesus. You must be born again. So look what he says here. It was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to make. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, O house of Israel, can I do with you as this potter, says the Lord? Look as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. And so when you read this right here, God wants to revise you. He wants to keep molding you. He wants to keep shaping you. And what I've found in my life, as long as I stay on the wheel... He keeps shaping me and molding me. And there's times in your life that he'll find another air pocket. And he'll say, i got to work this out of you. What does that mean to stay on the wheel? i got to just keep coming around the things of God. i got to keep staying under the blood of Jesus. Not only do I believe in the blood of Jesus, it's powerful to begin to speak it. Where you begin to say, Lord, I speak the blood over my eyes. I speak your blood, Lord Jesus, over my thoughts, over my tongue, over my heart. Give me clean hands and a pure heart today, Lord. That I continue just to come around the blood of Jesus. Now, this passage right here is cross-referenced into Romans 9. Go into, back into the New Testament to Romans 9. And as you're turning there, King David said some interesting facts in, in Psalm 31. He said, in your hand I commit my spirit. Then in the same chapter in Psalm 31, 15, he said, my times are in your hand. In other words, Lord, I welcome you shaping me. I welcome you forming me. And understand this. God's got plans for you. He still wants to shape you and mold you. Now watch what he says. Romans 9 verse 20. But indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, Why have you made me like this? How many in this room have we, and don't show your hands, how many of us have ever said this? Why'd you make me this way, Father God? Why'd you make me like this? See, that statement is, is birthed out of not liking who we are. 
And the reason we don't like who we are is we try to always put ourselves up against other people. We're always comparing ourselves to other people. Well, I'm not as good as husband as Mark Groom is. I'm not as handsome as Anthony is. I'm not as good as mother as this one is. I'm not as good. And we continue to do that and do this and do that. And we beat ourselves up. When understand, the Lord said in Psalm 139, he said, I wonderfully and fearfully and skillfully created you. And he wants to continue to revive us. And he wants to knock the things out of us and say, listen, I'm happy who you are. Quit comparing yourself to other people. It was one of the worst things that I did in my own life. I, w- I would allow people to compare me to my brother. Not that my brother's a bad guy. We're still praying for him, though. But I look at this and I'm not him. And people will always try to define your life. But understand this, when I begin to let God define me, and I say, oh, thank you, Father God. I'm who I am. Years ago, I saw this guy on this show with the craziest mohawk you've ever seen in your life. It looked like a a peacock. And they asked him seriously, they said, if you could be anybody in the world, who would you be? And he sat there for a minute, and he was a skater, and he gave this little smirk and this little grin, and he goes, if I could be anybody in the world, I would be me, because I like me. And I believe that's what every one of us need to understand. You need to like you because God likes you. Verse 21. Does not the potter have power over the clay? From the same lump to to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor. Now a lot of people will read into that and they'll say, well, it's like God likes this person, but he doesn't like that person. But that's not the truth. What makes one a person of honor and what keeps one in dishonor is this. The one who becomes a person of honor is the one who gives his heart to Jesus. And when he gives his heart to Jesus, he starts becoming who God created him to be. But the one who lives with dishonor is the one who's rejected God. And when I reject God, everything I'm going to do in my life is off the opinion or the comparison of mankind. So I'm either going to come under the hand of God and say, Lord, keep working on me. Or I'm going to stay under the hand of mankind. God's got uh, promises for every one of us. And it's just like the video say, I've got to start saying who he says I am. I've got to start believing those things. Stay on the wheel, guys. Stay on the wheel. Now, I will tell you this. In my own life, I've seen God move some big, big lumps out of me. Some, Some massive air pockets where he didn't use his thumb. He had to use his whole wrist his whole forearm, and move those out. And I would just continue to stay around the blood of Jesus. I'd say, oh, Lord, move in my life, move in my life. I speak the blood, I come under the blood, that the blood is qualifying me. And he kept working. And he keeps working. Do you know what I found out recently? He's not done with me. I was in a setting about six weeks ago. And I was on my knees just worshiping God, just crying, begin to cry before the Lord. And he said this word to me. He said, you're an adulterer. Now hear me out, okay? And I responded back to him and I said, Father God, I'm not an adulterer. 
I've never committed the physical act of adultery on my wife. You know what he said to me? He said, you're an adulterer in your thoughts. If a man thinks on a woman in, an un, an, in a bad way, you've committed adultery in your life. And you know what I had to say? You're right, Lord. It doesn't bring me great honor to stand before you and say that. I'm just showing you once again my humanity. But you know what I said? I said, Lord, that won't define me. You define me. And if you're bringing that back up in my life right now, then I'm getting back on the wheel. And I welcome you to begin to move that air pocket out of my life. See, again, it comes back to what I said earlier. A lot of times we say we can't change, but am I willing to change when Father God messes with my heart? And when he messes with my heart, I mean that in a good way. But he said, what are you going to do? And so I've been on the wheel. And I'm telling you guys, the blood of Jesus is working on my eyes. He's working on my heart. And some of you would say, well, I can't believe you're a pastor if you have those thoughts. Well, if you're so much holier than I, come up here. Because he's without the first stone, or he's without sin, cast the first stone. The only difference that I am the most of you is at least I got the guts to say it, okay? I'm not proud of it. But I realize anytime God starts dealing with my heart, this is how he's going to move in my life. That I get to stand before people and I get to say, this is what I've done. And it's literally biblical because the Lord said, when you deny me before the Father, I'll deny you before men. But when you acknowledge me, even in an area of your life, and in James 5, he said this, if you'll confess your sins to one another, he'll not only forgive you, he'll cleanse you. Am I perfect? I'm still on the wheel. I am a work in progress. But I tell you, it becomes powerful when I start saying, Okay, Lord Jesus, you fix me. You fix me. And this happened, I don't know, a week or so ago on Tuesday night prayer. That we got in here and we began to pray. And I, I came right down this aisle right here and I, I remember it. So vividly here that I stopped about right here. And I begin to sense this that mankind for or mankind for thousands of generations, when we begin to hurt in life, we call out to God. And he said in Psalm 50, 15, he said, Call on me in the day of trouble, and I'll answer you. And I sat there and thought. How many times did King David stand before Father God and say, Lord, I don't know what to do, but you do. How many times did, did, did Joseph stand before God? How many times did Moses say, I don't, I don't know what to do. I've got about a half a nostril out of drowning. I've got to have you. How many times did Rahab begin to say, but Father God, my past says I'm a harlot, but you say this. And something happens when we stand before God with our hands and say, you're the potter. I'm the clay. Mold me and shape me. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.